If you have a Bible, would you take it and turn to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 6. And if you know the book of Ephesians at all, you know that we have now entered the last chapter of the book of Ephesians. I'll give you just a little bit of a roadmap of what's coming. We'll be in Ephesians uh, next Sunday, uh, looking at verses... Uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, and then we'll have three weeks of some different folks preaching, all of them beginning with the letter J, Uh, Joshua, and then Jake, uh, and then James Mason is going to be here to to preach for us, so we're looking forward to having uh, he and Abby with us on the 16th. I just confirmed that this afternoon. Um, And then we'll get back into Ephesians and, and finish it up in probably three different sermons. So we'll be done with Ephesians before the end of the year, and then I'm not sure what we'll do, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> but for today, we're in Ephesians chapter 6 and the first four verses of that chapter. We've been in this study in the second half of Ephesians, considering the, the new walk that God has called us to as those who are in Christ. Beginning back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, you might remember that Paul has instructed us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, our calling to unity and holiness. He tells us that we are no longer to walk as the Gentiles do. Rather, we are to walk in love towards one another, and we are to walk in light uh, towards this world. And then most recently, we saw in chapter 5, verse 15, that we are to look carefully how we walk, choosing to walk the path of wisdom and the way of being filled with the Spirit. Well, in our walk through these commands to walk, we've come to Ephesians 5, verses 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, which we said is kind of an ancient household code of sorts. In other words, what Paul's doing is he's spelling out uh, in these verses what a spirit-filled home looks like, giving instructions regarding key relationships in a first century home, which included husbands and wives, parents and children, and masters and slaves. And these commands are, are in fact an application of the command in verse 21, that those who are filled with the Spirit are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to humbly serve and care for one another as Jesus has modeled for us. So the last two weeks, if you remember, we thought about husbands and wives, and we said that a spirit-filled marriage displays the beauty of the gospel through humble submission and sacrificial love. And now we've come to chapter 6, and we find in the first four verses that a spirit-filled home glorifies Christ as children obey their parents and as parents cherish their children. That'll be our big idea for this week. A spirit-filled home glorifies Christ. How does a spirit-filled home glorify Christ? It happens as children obey their parents and as parents cherish their children. Did you hear that, kids? After two weeks of talking about marriage, which seems to have absolutely nothing to do with you, (laughs) now it's time to hear a specific command to children. Maybe you can imagine in your mind with me this this letter being read out loud in the Ephesian church for the first time, maybe read by Tychicus, who was Paul's fellow worker, who maybe was also the mailman for this letter. Uh, And as he got to the end of chapter 5 and the instructions for husbands and wives, maybe the, the kids in the gathering got a little restless or maybe even sleepy, like some of you may from time to time on a Sunday. That's okay. Uh, But then they were startled back to attention as they heard the word, 
children. Here it was, a word from Paul to the kids in the church. Isn't that amazing? And, and not only may the children have been started, but actually the, the whole church could have been a little bit startled by the fact that Paul specifically mentioned the children in the congregation. It would be surprising because if in our culture we have a tendency, a tendency to cater to children a little bit more than is wise, then in the first century they had the opposite inclination. Children were often dismissed or ignored or simply seen as a nuisance. Yet the church of Jesus follows in the footsteps of Jesus, and right away here in the first century we see the church looking like Jesus. Remember that it was Jesus who rebuked the way that the disciples wanted to dismiss the children who came to him. And he commanded in Matthew, Matthew 10, 14 and 15, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus reminds us that children are not an inconvenience. They are not a secondary matter. They are one of the greatest opportunities for true greatness and joy in God's kingdom. It may have been less countercultural for Paul if he was just actually giving instruction to the boys, because the boys would have been given a more prominent role within society in that day. But there's good reason to see that Paul's words to children are being directed both to boys and girls. In the church, all children, girls, and boys alike are valued and are given the privilege of living lives to honor Jesus. So I want to say to the children and youth of Grace Fellowship, I, I hope you know that you are loved and you are valued in this church and that we agree with the scriptures that you are able to live your lives to God's glory just as much as the people in here who are older than you. The, this specific command uh, given directly to children and to youth could actually be a, a general call to those of you who are younger to, to not wait, to not wait and think that the time to start following Jesus is, is when you are older. As you trust the gospel and as you know the power of God's spirit in your life, you can walk in, in God's ways right now. And Paul is going to give you a very practical way to do that right here in Ephesians chapter 6. But Paul is also going to talk to parents in this passage. Reminding those of us who have been given this responsibility that while we have God-given authority over our children, there are, ways that, that there are ways that we are to use this authority that helps our children to obey and honor us, and that even more importantly reveals to our children the character of God. So again, our big idea for today is this, a spirit-filled home glorifies Christ as children obey their parents and as parents cherish their children. So let's read the first four verses of Ephesians 6, and then we're going to think about these commands to children and to parents. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I can remember, oh, I'm sorry, the first command, children, obey and honor your parents. That's what we'll think about first. Children, obey and honor your parents. I can remember being asked to watch some neighborhood kids when I was probably in middle school. 
I was old enough to be responsible, but I was not old enough to command their respect. <laughs> Uh, which is probably why I can remember one of the kids saying to me, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> ever heard that phrase? Have you ever said that to someone when they told you what to do? You looked at them and they're trying to tell you what to do and you thought, they're not in charge of me. I don't have to listen to them. On the other hand, Paul reminds children who in fact is in charge of them, who does have responsibility for them and authority over them. And who is it? It's their parents. I heard God, that's, that's a good answer too. But it's their parents. Let's, we're actually gonna connect those here. Uh, so he says to children that they are to obey and honor their parents. Now, we, we could take some time and think about how that command applies to, to we who have uh, parents but who are no longer under their authority. How do adult children honor their parents? However, Paul's talking, uh, Paul's making specific applications to this call to be submissive in, in chapter 5, verse 21. So it seems best to focus our instruction on, our, our discussion on children who still live with their parents and are under their authority. We said a few weeks ago, obey is different from the word submit in verse 21, but they certainly inform one another. Uh, the difference seems to be in part that a marriage is a unique covenant entered into by a husband and wife, but children don't get to choose their parents, do they? And yet, that authority still exists, and children need to submit to the rule of their parents as long as their parents are not commanding them to do anything contrary to God's word. There's a parallel command. It says, obey your parents, and then Paul gives a, a second command in verse 2, which is honor your father and mother, and that's taken from the fifth commandment. In the list of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, this is the the first commandment following those that focus specifically on love for God. And here, some people say that, that the commandments move into our, our love for neighbor. However, I think it could also be said that to honor our parents is to honor God, who has wisely and lovingly given us parents. All authority is ultimately from God. And so, to honor our parents is to honor God, whose authority they represent which also means that to dishonor or to rebel against our parents is to dishonor and rebel against God. But obeying and honoring our parents isn't always easy, is it? Sometimes we're not sure what to do. We struggle to understand what our parents are doing. Or as we get older, we often think that we know better. Some of you are getting older, maybe you're in middle school and you're in high school, and you know this especially, you often think your parents' rules are wrong. You see that your friends don't have to, the same rules, or you don't understand why your parents are asking you to do something or forbidding you from doing something else. And we should be honest, sometimes parents make mistakes. Sometimes parents act sinfully. There's an Avett Brothers song with a line that I like. It says, we're all sons and daughters of our parents' wounds who are parents of our own. Meaning that parents aren't perfect, but their imperfection is not a reason to disobey them. The imperfection of a parent is not a reason to disobey them. What if I told you this? What if I told you that Jesus, who was perfect and, and who was God in human form, obeyed and honored his imperfect parents? 
after he'd been left behind in Jerusalem and then reunited with Mary and Joseph, we're told this in Luke 2.51. It says, And he, Jesus, went down with them, Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus obeyed his parents. And to be a Christian, of course, is to do what? It's to follow Jesus. And to honor and obey our parents is to walk in the steps of Jesus. In fact, that reality leads us into three reasons that Paul gives us. Three reasons for why we should obey this command to to obey and honor our parents. And the first is in verse one, and it's very simple. Why should you obey and honor your parents? Number one, because it's right. (laughs) Because it's the right thing to do. That word there where it says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It could be translated righteous or just. And it reminds us that Jesus in his perfect life fulfilled all righteousness because he always did what was right. The fact that it's right to obey our parents is seen in the Bible, but it's also something that everyone knows through general revelation, meaning through the world around us that God has made. We live in a culture that doesn't like the idea that there are some things that are right for all people, no matter the situation. But there are some things that are that way. And obedience to parents is in fact one of them. Across all cultures and all times, obeying your parents is the right thing to do. John Stott refers to Romans 1 and 2, and he says that, quote, it's part of the natural law which God has written on all human hearts, end quote, and that disobedience to parents is a mark of a decadent generation which God has given up to its own godlessness. Wow. It's true. A culture that denies the rightness of children obeying their parents is suppressing a basic truth of the world because children obeying their parents is just right. And it's not going to turn out in the long run if we say that it's wrong. But in our sinfulness, sometimes we can know that something is right to not do, but we still want to do it. We know that it's not right to disobey our parents, but we still want to do it. In fact, sometimes we want to do something wrong just because we're told not to do it. What if I said this? What if I said, hey, nobody come up here and play the drums right now. Now there's part of you that wants to do that, right? Nobody here was thinking about playing the drums. I don't know anyone here who knows how to play the drums very well. And we all know that it would be a really bad idea if someone came up here right now and started playing the drums. But we all still kinda wanna do it, right? That's our sinful nature, because I said don't do it, you wanna do it. And sometimes that's what happens with obedience to parents. I say you need to obey your parents and there's something in our sinful hearts that says, well, then I don't want to. But we would be wise to see that there are some things that are just the right thing to do. And therefore, we should push against our desire to do the opposite. No, notice the second reason, though, that children should obey their parents, and in that it's, it's this, because it's good. Because it's good. Why should we obey our parents? Number one, because it's right. Number two, because it's good. You know, sometimes obedience feels, it feels restrictive. It feels frustrating. Kids, you might wish that it said this, children, do whatever you want. (laughs) And we want to say that because we think that doing whatever we want without any restrictions is what's going to make us happy. In fact, many people tell us just that. They say that the way to be happy in life is to just listen to all your desires and do whatever you want, which reminds me of this chapter in, in a book 
by Sally Lloyd-Jones called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. It's called Foolish Fish, and it's got this great picture of a fish wearing a nice bowler cap and riding an old-style bicycle, okay? This is what Sally Lloyd-Jones writes. What if a fish one day decided, I've had enough of being told what I can and can't do and only being allowed in water. I want to be free. I'm going to find my fortune on land and then jumped out of the water and onto the riverbank. How far do you think that foolish fish would get? It would wriggle and flap its fins, but of course fins don't work on land. It would lie there gasping for air, and pretty soon it would die. How free is that fish on land? Not very. The fish is not built for land, and we are not built to be away from our Heavenly Father. Like that foolish fish, I think sometimes we imagine that if we could just get rid of all of the rules and of all the people that are telling us what we can and can't do, then, then life would be more fun. But Paul actually quotes the Old Testament to remind us that obeying and honoring our parents is not something that makes us unhappy, but it's actually something that makes us truly happy. In fact, we're told that it's the first commandment with a promise. It's the first commandment that spells out the blessing of obeying it. And what's the promise? The promise is for prosperity and long life. It's the blessing of the Vulcan greeting that Dr. Spock taught to a generation. You remember that? Live long and prosper. <laughs> That's what happens if you obey your parents. The promise quoted is, is from Exodus uh, 20, and it was originally given to Israel as they prepared to enter into the, the promised land. And so Paul tells uh, his, his readers that if children will, will honor and obey their parents, then they will be blessed with various kinds of prosperity and they will remain in the land living to an old age. Now, as we think about how to apply this and what that promise means, we can recognize that it, it kind of works like the Proverbs sometimes do, meaning that it's generally too, true that for people, if people would listen to their parents, they will prosper and do well, and those who do not listen to their parents, things will not go well for them. That's just a general rule. But we should also think about this command uh, corporately. We could say that a community, a, a country, a nation, or whatever you want to say, a, a place in which parents are honored and respected is more stable. It's more prosperous than one where parents are not. All of this reminds us of what God says in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 13. He says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today, three words then, for your good. That's why God gives us his commands. God's commands are not meant to hurt or to harm us, they're meant to bring us blessing. And while the fifth command is the only one with a clearly stated promise, we know that everything that God tells us to do or to not do is spoken in love and for our good. And the hope then for parents is that we would do the same, that we would make rules not to hurt or harm our children, but to bless and prosper them. Why? Because we love them. And children know that your parents love you and their rules are meant for your good. Now, if we combine these first two reasons for obeying and honoring parents, I think we see this. I think we see that right things are good things, and good things are right things. 
That sounds simple. Maybe something to ponder. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that what is right according to God's word and world brings blessing. And it usually brings blessing on anyone, Christian or not. That could be part of, the, of, of why Christian parents can ask their unbelieving children to obey. Because obedience to parents is right and good. But Paul goes deeper, doesn't he? Paul goes deeper here when he tells children to obey their parents. How? In the Lord. And this leads to the third reason that children, specifically children, if you claim to be a Christian, if you have repented and trusted in Christ, you should obey your parents, thirdly, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Kids, let me be real clear. Obeying and honoring your mom and dad is right and it's good. And it brings blessing into your life. But it does not save you. It does not earn your salvation for you. We've been talking about how sometimes we don't want to listen to our parents. We don't want to listen to anyone in authority. And that's because of our sinful nature. We're born in sin and we don't want to listen to God or any of the people that he's put in authority over us, including our parents. And so we rebel against them and our, our rebellion causes us to be separated from God. We're, we're made to be with him. But our relationship is broken because of the wrong things we do. And because our hearts are sinful, there's nothing that we can do on our own to make things right. So God, out of his love for us, did something himself. He sent his son Jesus to earth. And he sent him so that he could live a righteous life, doing things like obeying his earthly parents, but also even obeying his heavenly father. And not only was, was he perfect, but he also died to pay the price for all of our sin and for all of our rebellion. And he calls us to trust in him for salvation, to believe that Jesus in his life lived, in his life lived the way that none of us can and that in his death died the death that we all deserved. So we are called to turn away from our sin and we're called to trust Jesus. And if we trust in, Je in what Jesus has done. God says he makes us an entirely new creation with a completely new heart. And it's a heart that doesn't not want to obey our parents and doesn't not want to keep God's commands, but it's a heart that wants to do what God wants us to do. Not only are we given this new heart, but we're also given a new spirit. We're given God's spirit who lives in us and fills us so that we want to and we're able to truly obey our parents from the heart. In some ways, Paul is showing us that it's, it's good for everyone to obey and honor their parents, but obeying our parents is also a sign that we've been changed by God. The, the Christian is someone who's been changed and desires to obey their parents, and they do it as to God, knowing that, that God loves them, and God has given them parents for their good, and so they submit to their parents as a way of submitting to God and honoring Jesus. Children, I, I want you to hear the goodness of this command to obey your parents. It's a good thing. But more importantly, you know what I want you to hear? I want you to hear the goodness of the good news about Jesus. He can change you and he can forgive you and he can allow you to obey your parents from the heart. And for you who are already Christians, God has given you a new heart and as you're filled with his spirit, he's going to help you Obey and honor your parents from the heart and for his glory. It could be that you kids are maybe one of you is here and, and you need to 
to come to, to know Jesus and his forgiveness for the first time today. Or maybe you're a Christian and you need to repent to God and you maybe even need to repent to your parents for, for not obeying and not honoring them. Today is a, a great way to, great day to choose the way of Jesus, which includes honoring our parents. Well, as with all of his instruction on submission and obedience, Paul also has something to say to the parents who hold the authority. So kids, now I get to talk to your parents <laughs> and to myself. As parents, we can become so concerned with the obedience of our children that we don't take the time to consider whether our parenting is in fact encouraging our children to obey or maybe frustrating them. And so Paul has instructions for parents as well. And just as the, the love of the husband informed the submission of the wife in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, so too here the actions and the attitudes of parents influence the command for children to obey their parents. And so Paul's command is this, parents, don't provoke, but cherish your children. Parents, don't provoke, but cherish your children. You might notice that that word that starts in verse 4 is not parents, it's fathers. So in a passage about submitting to one another, this is not surprising since it reflects the place of final authority and responsibility within the home. The father is called on to lead his children as he is also to lead his wife. Of course, a healthy marriage is, is as the one that's, that's filled with a healthy marriage, such as the one that's filled with, with selfless self-giving, the one that Paul has described, is one where a husband and wife are going to work together in raising their children with the final responsibility falling on the father. In fact, it's maybe surprising that it says fathers, isn't it? Some people would maybe wish that it just said mothers. <laughs> Often fathers have thought that taking care of the children is what mothers do. But Scripture calls fathers to be actively involved in the parenting of their children. Uh, the specific mention of fathers could also be a reference to God the Father and a reminder that parental authority ultimately is a reflection of God's love and of God's care for his children. If children are to submit to their parents as to the Lord, then parents must always bear in mind that they are imaging God to their children. And a child's understanding of God is largely shaped by the heart that their parents have towards them. A final reason we might say for the use of this word fathers in particular could have to do, in fact, with the sinfulness and the volatility of fathers. Now, that's not to say that mothers aren't sinful. But what Paul is talking about specifically here, as he does with all of those that are given authority, is for parents to, to restrain in some ways their God-given authority. And what we know is that fathers are prone to outbursts against children who disobey them. Or, or they may even take a sinful joy in exasperating or upsetting their children. Some of us may be all too aware of how a father can use his authority, and not his, just his authority, but even his physical strength or the loudness of his voice to hurt and even abuse his children. And there is to be none of this in the Christian home. Paul says. Regarding the fathers that Paul was originally writing to, Stott quotes a man named Barclay as saying this, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. 
He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands, and punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. But says Paul, the spirit-filled Christian, the the spirit-filled parent, is to put off this domineering power and instead is to put on nurturing, cherishing. Specifically, he says, we're to put off provoking. Don't provoke your children is the first thing that we're thinking about. Don't provoke your kids. Now, some of us wish it said, children, don't provoke your parents. (laughs) And the reality is that If you live with anyone long enough, you get to know what bothers them, what makes them angry. And if you want to, you can, as they say, easily push their buttons. But what Paul says here is that parents are not allowed to do that. For a parent to do this to a child is to misuse their authority. And so we have to be careful about any number of things that provoke and discourage and frustrate our children. Why? Because children are fragile, and children are tender, and we have to treat them with gentleness. So how might we provoke our children? I'll give you two possible ways that we could do this. There's probably many more, and within these two possible ways, I'll give you lots of iterations. Uh, If your kids are old enough, you might ask if one of these things rings true for them. Or you might ask if they've got something they'd want to add to the list that's provoking, that's frustrating, that's hard for them. But here's two. First, teasing and sarcasm could provoke your children. Teasing and sarcasm. Now, is there a place for fun and for joking in the house? Of course. I'm, I'm not calling for us to some sort of sober and sour existence in our homes. But we need to be careful about jokes that are made at the expense of our children because they're fragile and they're very impressionable. In fact, let's be honest, teasing and sarcasm is often just an ineffective or even cowardly way to communicate our feelings. If we're gonna talk to our kids, we don't talk in teasing and sarcastic ways. Instead, we speak clearly and lovingly to our children. We either encourage them or we instruct them. We're clear. They know exactly what we think. Specifically, we should not speak, whether seriously or in in jest, about having a favorite child. Nothing good ever comes from that, whether you're being serious or not. We all know this from the scriptures, don't we? The story of Joseph, as well as the stories of of Jacob and Esau make this very clear. We should never uh, speak of a favorite child. We should never humiliate our children. It's natural that kids are going to be embarrassed by their parents, right? This is going to happen. Children will be embarrassed by their parents until the Lord comes. But they should never be humiliated by their parents. So teasing and sarcasm could provoke our children, and we need to avoid those things. We could also provoke our children through unrealistic expectations, Unrealistic expectations. If, if you're like me, then most of these unrealistic expectations, these unspoken parenting standards, are largely rooted in how we want to be viewed by other people, especially perfect strangers at the grocery store. That's where my parenting standards come from, right? <laughs> and so we can sacrifice actually our children's spiritual and mental health on the altar of our own ego. Our expectations could also be found in things that worked with some of our children, 
but just don't work with other children. The things that helped one child are actually frustrating and exasperating to another child, and we need to be honest about that. Those unrealistic expectations could come from things that worked with the children of an author of a book, but just don't work with your family, and that's okay. There's no standard other than this, what the scriptures say. And so some of these things we just need to let go, realizing that they're hurting our children, they're frustrating our children, and we need to understand that, that we're called to parent in the way that God's spirit is leading us to. Some of our unrealistic expectations could actually be rooted in a desire to live vicariously through our children. We want them to become who we always wanted to be, what we're never able to accomplish. And so we put the weight of all of our dreams on the shoulders of our children, and then we crush them. Well, there's a lot of ways uh, to apply this command. It looks simple, doesn't it? Don't provoke your children. But there's a lot of ways to think about how we might do that. But hopefully you can see how, as, as with the leadership of the husband for the wife, parents are, parents are actually, what we're, what we're getting at here and not provoking is we're trying to provide an opportunity for our children to grow and to thrive and to become all that God has made them to be. Our, our provoking of them hinders that, and it robs us of the opportunity to raise our children in a way that glorifies God. And so I would say if, if children need to repent for their disobedience and dishonor, then we parents may need to repent to God and even to our children for the ways that we've provoked them, exasperated them, frustrated them. So we put off provoking. What do we put on? Cherish your children. Cherish your children. Now that word cherish, that's my attempt to try and sum up what's meant by this call to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word translated bring up here in the ESV uh, in verse 4 is actually the same word that's translated in, in 529 as nourish, regarding the fact that we nourish and care for our physical bodies. And children need nourishment. From the very beginning, one of the key calls of the parent is to nourish a child in their care. And that's not always as easy as it sounds, is it? When Andrea and I were new parents and we came home from the hospital with baby Elaine, we were scared to death that she wasn't getting enough to eat. Did anyone else have that experience? And so we didn't know what to do, but we were scared to death. And, and, you know, and then as days go on, we're, we've dealt with picky eaters and children who can't sit at the, at the table and they just keep getting up. And nourishing kids is a full-time job. Just getting them to eat food is difficult. Of course, Paul's talking about a different kind of nourishing, isn't he? He's reminding us that what our children need to grow and be healthy is the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They need to be taught what is against God's revealed will, as well as what is part of his call to love the Lord and to love their neighbor. Now, I would say much of this happens, as Deuteronomy says, on the way. It happens around the dinner table, happens at bedtime, it happens on a, a car ride. But there must also be some intentionality to the way that we, that we disciple and train our children in the Lord, the way that we nourish them. Imagine if that night that we came home from the hospital and we were so worried about Elaine's 
uh, nourishment that we looked at this little infant and we said, kitchen's that way, go help yourself. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. And yet that's sometimes the way that we think about our children's growth in godliness and their nourishment in Christ. We just expect them to find their way. Or maybe we hope that someone else will take care of it. But the scriptures here command every parent and especially every father to nourish their children with the scriptures, disciplining them and instructing them. If it's good and right for children to obey their parents, then it has to be good and right for parents to teach and instruct and correct and lovingly rebuke their children in the Lord. Boy, that's not an easy task, is it? So let me give you an encouragement. You're not alone. (laughs) We're not alone in this task. If you're a member of this church, then you've made this covenant with each other. We will endeavor, we, we will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example, seek the salvation of our family and friends. You know what that says to me? It says we're in this together. This is not a race to see who wins the parenting marathon, okay? This is not, our goal is not to judge whose kids dress the best, which ones are the most polite on Sunday. We're not in competition with each other. This parenting family thing is not a marathon where we're trying to win. It's more like one of those Spartan races. I've never done them, but from what I hear, everyone's got to work together if you're going to finish, at times, they're just, you're cheering each other on. Other times, someone's like climbing on your back so that they can get over a wall. And we're each running our own race, but we're all working together and we're making sacrifices to help each other and to help our kids. And so we're in this together. And in all of this, we're also not by ourselves because we're doing this in the power of the Trinity. The Godhead himself is helping us, helping all of us, parents, to cherish our children and not provoke them. Children, God is helping you to obey your parents. Remember, we're doing this through the filling of the Spirit, the Spirit who intercedes for us, who strengthens us, who guides us, who helps us to be more like Jesus. Children, when you're struggling to obey your parents, when you're struggling to honor them, you know what you can do? You can pray to Jesus because Jesus understands submission to parents. Jesus knows the goodness and the blessing of walking that path, and he can help you. And parents, when we are at our wit's end, when we're exasperated, we can pray to a father, a father who is perfectly patient with us, who cherishes us more deeply than we could ever imagine and more deeply than we will ever even cherish our own children. And God the Father will help us. A spirit-filled home glorifies Christ. Isn't that what we want? We want a house that glorifies Jesus. And you know how that happens? It happens as children obey their parents and as parents cherish their children. May God fill us with his spirit so that we can know the blessing of obeying these right and good and God-honoring commands. Let's take a moment and allow God's spirit to apply these truths to our hearts and direct us in ways we may need to repent or steps we need to take towards faithfulness. But let's take a few moments of silence and then I will pray for us.
Father, we thank you for the, the beauty of your word. It's so simple and yet so profound. It is so um, easy to understand. And yet it will transform our entire lives if we would obey it. Lord, I pray for the kids that are here. I pray above all else that you would call them to yourself, that you would call them to repentance and faith in Jesus so that they might obey you from the heart. I pray that they would know the goodness and the rightness of obeying their parents and honoring their parents, but even more so, Lord, that they would know Jesus and know the motivation that comes from being, uh, being his that allows them to walk in ways that that honor him and honor their parents. Father, I pray for those of us that are parents that you would help us to not provoke our kids. Lord, that you would awaken our our eyes and our hearts to see and to know when we are and that we would be quick to repent and quick to turn from those ways. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to cherish our children, to be actively nourishing and helping them to grow Lord, to discipline them when we need to, but to also train and instruct them in your ways. Lord, we can get caught up in so many other things, so many things that we think are necessary, so many things that we think are important, and allow that that training to fall by the wayside. So Lord, would you today bring it to the forefront of our minds and make us those that are actively seeking to disciple our kids. And Lord, thank you for the, this community of believers, uh, people who are in the same place we are, see people who are further down the path than we are who can help us. Uh, Lord, help us to work together. Help us to encourage one another, kids encouraging kids and parents encouraging parents. And Lord, that we would be walking in ways that, that please you all by the power of your spirit in us. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.